Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy! This morning, we are talking about something that's modeled over and over in the Bible, and it's a tool that I think can help you grow spiritually. It can help you get in better physical shape. It can help you have an amazing relationship with God, your spouse, and others. It can help you get your finances right. It can help you accomplish your goals. It can lead, help you lead others to Jesus. It's this tool that literally can make your week better. It also can change the entire course of your life. What is it, you maybe ask? It's not your good looks. It's not your fancy job that you think you need. It's not your schmoozing ability. It's not that new workout powder that you need for five easy payments in 1999. It's not some get-rich-quick scheme. It's not some Christian retreat or concert. What is it? You want to know? The worship leader already gave it away, but it's consistency. <laughs> Successful people, whether it be success in marriage, in health, in faith, in finances, in world impact... Successful people do things consistently that other people do occasionally. As you think about you, what do you do occasionally that maybe needs to be done consistently? I mean, for me, here are some uh, things I can list off that I'm pretty consistent at. Drinking coffee. Anybody there with me? All right, yeah, drinking coffee. Uh, going to the bathroom. I'm pretty consistent at that. Those two particular go together. Uh, eating sweets. I, I'm consistent at watching the new Netflix uh, series each week. I'm consistent at looking up the best price on Amazon. I'm good at filling my truck up before it gets empty. I'm good at paying my bills on time when they're on auto pay. I'm even fairly good at showering, yet none of you affirm that because no one wants to sit in the front. I'm pretty good at being consistent about praying before meals. I'm really good at getting work done on time. I'm really consistent with coming up with new consistent ideas and habits I want to add into my life and then consistently dropping the ball on them. Can you relate? Because if I'm a bit open with you about my inconsistencies or things I do occasionally, I am inconsistent with my diet and what I eat and how healthy, how, how healthy I eat. I'm inconsistent with my working out. I'm inconsistent with flossing. Not the dance, but like flossing with your teeth. Anybody with me on that? Like you're inconsistent with flossing. All right. I'm going to go on a little tangent here for a second. But, but like with that string, I'm a horrible flosser. I'm bad at it. I was at the dentist recently. And they're asking, you know, all the like typical questions. Like, hey, have you been brushing lately? Yeah. What kind of flavor of cleaner do you want? Mint, bubblegum, orange, citrus? What color toothbrush do you want? I'm like, I'm a grown man, but I'll take blue and mint, right? But then she asks, how often have you been flossing? And I instantly turn into a little kid, like, oh, you know, like a couple times a week. Like, <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> but to get a bit more serious with you, I'm inconsistent about a lot of things. I'm inconsistent in praying with my spouse or just praying to start my day. I'm inconsistent with my scripture reading at times. I, my willingness to give up time and full obedience to God, I'm sometimes in, inconsistent with that. I'm inconsistent with love and emotional support to my family. That can also be inconsistent. Now, with all of these, I'm not harnessing the power of consistent, positive decisions. But I make choices on the fly in those moments. 
to not follow through with these when in the moment or when I'm in a crisis or when I'm like experiencing a particular emotion, I don't follow through with it. And I think you've, you've been, if you've been here the last couple of weeks th- through this series, we've addressed this idea that many of us, we're just bad decision makers, especially in the moments. Fortunately, a Christian is never defined by the quality of their decisions, but a Christian is defined by purely their relationship with Jesus and the acceptance of his grace and forgiveness. But when someone has experienced that real grace and that response to that grace, what it does is it should change you. It should change you inside. That when you embrace the fact that Jesus is death for you in your place, for your mistakes, it typically starts to like make you realize that you do some things that maybe are wrong or maybe cause hurt or maybe just cause pain to yourself and others because of your inconsistencies. And in response to that, we're moved to make life choices or changes, not to earn or pay back for that gift that we receive from God, but to simply seek God's advice and guidance to avoid further hurts. And if today we truly want that, or we're truly experiencing that, we can't leave it up to just making a decision in the moment, in our emotional tempting moments. In this series, what we've been doing is we've been declaring certain things, declaring things that God values as seen in the Bible that we can say, it's decided for us ahead of time to act this particular way. And through this series, we've been committing and saying, I am ready, I am consistent, I am generous, I am faithful, I am a finisher, I am loving, and I am humble. We're doing this because Proverbs 16.3, it says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. We're committing these ways to God, and we are using what God says in the Bible to help us establish our plans. Again, this week, it's consistency. Have you ever wanted consistency, started to pursue it, yet just failed shortly after you made the decision for it? I've literally, I've thrown out all the chocolates in our house. They're gone. We're getting rid of it. And then like a week later, buy a ton of new ones, right? I've, I've bought the year-long gym membership at times and went twice in the year. I've invested in the study Bible or that special notebook that's going to help me get in the scripture and then I lose interest after two weeks. I've raved about a church or a sermon or like the life groups or like the, the messages are just great and like I listen to it and then all of a sudden I just stop for a couple months. I've bragged to everyone like, I'm now a morning person. This is me. I'm a morning person. And then I sleep through my alarm, right? I know I need consistency because I just give up or decide in the moment, I'm good. I don't need that. But it's not causing the positive growth I desire deep down. It's actually causing what I would say are negative things for myself. Can you relate to some of this or to doing some of these things? If so, today we are going to look at primarily one character in the Bible who had such consistency that he maintained a lifestyle, a discipline, a faith, a habits, a direction for life of what he wanted for at least 70-some years. Today we're going to study uh, the first six chapters of Daniel in the Bible. Daniel, he's both a person in the Bible, and he's also got a book in the Bible. But he's seen as like one of the most consistent people in his faith, decisions, actions, emotions. And what I want to do is I want to give you kind of like the two-time speed overview of Daniel in the first six chapters of his book. Uh, 
it's kind of a different sermon than a normal one that you have here, because what I'm going to do is kind of just give you a glance at these chapters, but my hope is to expose you to maybe some circumstances or situations he encounters so that you can then read on your own and maybe see how it relates to your own life and how you can learn from it. But before we dive into it, I want to give you a little background you need to know about Daniel. Uh, in 600. BC, Daniel was part of the royal family in Judah of God's people, and they were conquered by the Babylonian army. Well, Daniel is then deported, and the Babylon king of that time says, I, I want to make some people from that nation to become advisors to our nation. So what happens is that he chooses Daniel for that. Well, as kings came and went, Daniel served that nation's court for close to 70 years. You heard me say that earlier, 70 years, right? But I want to put stress on that because that's a long time. 70 years is a long time. Could you say you've done something for maybe just a few years? Like, honestly, like a hobby, a hairstyle, a membership, a diet, a learning habit, a TV series, a house, a city. I'm guilty of changing those things every few years, right? But Daniel had consistency for 70-some years. We're just not great at consistency, but Daniel is. What's interesting, though, is instead of Daniel just trying to fit with the culture or the customs of that time or what the king wanted, he had a faithfulness to God's ways, and it consistently formed his decisions and many times put him at risk. So we're going to start in chapter 1. In chapter 1, how it starts is Daniel, is being, he's chosen to be part of the, the king's court. And uh, they instantly want to put him on a king's diet of food and wine. Like the king's food, right? Like, can you imagine? That sounds amazing. King's food, wine, like just everything great. Tempting, right? Yet the foods this nation ate were unclean to the Jewish customs or Daniel's people which these customs, these were things that God purposely gave them to be set apart so that his nation would be set apart from other nations and point to God. Daniel 1.8, it says, But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Can you imagine doing that? Like you just were chosen... And then all of a sudden, like, for, for example, maybe for you, maybe you had just got a brand new job. And then like on your first day, you're like, hey, do you mind if I take Friday off? Right? You would never do that. You don't do that. Well, Daniel somehow convinces the king to let him just eat veggies and drink water and see after 10 days if the, that decision was wise by how healthy they look. What well, says in Daniel 1.15, at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of food and wine provided for the others. Daniel was set apart, right? He's seen as someone different. Then in chapter 2, in Daniel's second year as a court member advising the king, this commotion happens, and no one can interpret this dream for this king. It's this disturbing dream for King Nebuchadnezzar, and apparently the king goes kind of crazy. He's kind of crazy in response to this. He says kind of like essentially this, since no one can interpret my dreams, what use are you advisors and wise men? Let's kill you all. Pretty crazy, right? But it says this in Daniel 2, 12 to 13. The king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. 
Not the most wise choice, right? But then again, apparently all the wise men should die anyways, right? <laughs> but this massacre would have included Daniel and his friends. But Daniel's able to buy some time. He says, I, I think I can figure this out. I can figure out what this dream is that you're having. And what happens is then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, what had happened. And they start praying and trying to decipher what maybe this is. They're praying to God. And all of a sudden, he has a revelation of it. And he's able to deliver a description of what that dream is and what it means. Which, long story short, he tells the king that through his gifting from God, the God of Israel, that he's able to interpret and this in the kingdom is going to fall. That's what the dream was about. Your kingdom's going to fall to an inferior one. It says this right here. Uh, but after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise to take your place. After that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom, represented by bronze, will rise to rule the world. Well, the king's impressed by the fact that he can interpret this dream, and he appoints Daniel to a high position, along with Daniel's friends. Now we get to chapter 3, and we see the story of a fiery furnace. Somehow in this chapter, Daniel just disappears. He's not involved in it. He must be on some work trip or something, fortunately for him, right? But it, but it talks about his three close friends who all follow God in the Jewish customs. They're at the king's building site, and all of a sudden they see this king declares, I want everyone to bow at my statue. It's necessary for everyone to bow when this noise goes off. And he threatens, if you don't, if you don't obey, you'll be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Well, the friends of Daniel know that's against what God wants, and they choose not to bow. And someone tattles on them, and they get thrown into a furnace, yet this fire doesn't hurt them in some mysterious way. In Daniel 24 to 25, it says, But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. The fourth is implying that God was with them, and they get released, and they're respected for their faith. The king says, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angels to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. That's amazing. Now we go to chapter 4 and we see that Daniel, he, he requested, is requested to interpret another dream for the kings. He's using the same methods of going to God, relying on God's gifting to him. And he interprets, again, bad news for the king. Afterwards, we don't really hear what happens to Daniel after he predicts this, but the king passes. The king dies. Then we go to chapter 5, and years pass, and a new king comes or arises, and it's King Belshazzar, and he hosts this giant party. And it's not like some red solo cup party, but he uses gold cups, fancy cups, gold cups that actually were taken from God's church in Jerusalem when the nation conquered them. And it's a party of like a thousand some people. That's a party, right? They're partying it up, thousand some people, gold cups. And then literally a creepy hand shows up. Like just a hand. 
and starts writing on the wall. Daniel 5, 5 through 6. It says, Suddenly they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. Oh, but you, but that'd be creepy. That's killing the vibe at the party. It's not really a party time anymore. Well, none of the king's people or wise men can interpret what it means, so they call Daniel. Daniel. And how Daniel responds is, he says, Daniel answered the king, keep your gifts, because the king's like, I'll give you gifts if you can just tell me like, what it is that like, it says, because it's in a different language. Just tell me what it says. And Daniel says, keep your gifts, or give them to someone else, but I will tell you what the writing means. And Daniel reads the words to him. I'm actually not going to share you what the words are, because I want you to look at it on your own and learn from it in the scripture of Daniel chapter 5. But long story short, Daniel tells the king again, is bad news. He delivers the not-so-great news to the king, so much so that the king actually dies that night, and a new king arises. Daniel 5.31 says, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. All right, woo! We've done five chapters. We've got one chapter left, and this is our last chapter, and it's our last story. It's kind of the climax of Daniel's stories, um, and I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss what's going on, so we're going to take a little brain break, I know it was a lot. We're going to take a little brain break. So we're going to do a little word scramble game. So I'm going to like, I got some words up here and I've reoriented the letters and you're going to tell me, yell it out, what you think the word is. And it applies to what we just talked about. It's kind of cheesy, but I think you can do it. Here we go. First one. Daniel. Daniel. All right. Awesome. Round two. Oh, someone got back there. Nice. Whoa. You're on point over there. Dreams, yes. The first service did not get that. Creepy hand. Come on now. Lion. All right. You're ready for the chapter 6. As this new king comes in, Daniel 6, 2, it says, the king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators, his primary administrators, to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interest. Well, some of the others start to get jealous. They get jealous of Daniel, and they began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn him with. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. i got to stop there for a second. Like, if you're trying to compete with a guy who's, who's got a job, is faithful, responsible, and trustworthy, just stop. That guy's a perfect 10, right? He's amazing, right, ladies? Like... Anyways, Daniel 6, 5, it says, They concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. It's known Daniel is still a very consistent person to God in his prayer and in his worship. So these guys approach the king and they say this, We're all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign the law so that it cannot be changed, an official law of Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signs the law. In theory, this kind of puts Daniel into a bind, you'd think, right? But the next verse says this. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, 
he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. Secretly, they're like, yes, we got him. We got him. This is so good, right? It's like directly from Scripture. All right, last little bit here. It says, So then they went to the king to remind him about his law. Did you not sign a law that the next 30 days any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty? I like how they add that in there. Your majesty, right? Your majesty will be thrown into the den of lions. Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. And then they say, well, Daniel, we caught him. He's ignoring your law. He's still praying. It's like the typical tattletale trap. Hearing this, the king, he's troubled because he likes Daniel, and he tries to think of a way to save him, but he couldn't. So the king throws him into the den of lions, and he says, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, protect you or rescue you. The king is restless about this until the morning, and he goes to the den that next morning, and he yells out to Daniel, and Daniel answers, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. So the king gets him out, and then it says, The king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the dens of lions, and the lions pounce. Actually, it doesn't say that last part, but, it actually, <laughs> but it's like a movie, right? It's like a movie. Now, throughout the whole book of Daniel, or at least these first six chapters, you can see this theme of consistency, of Daniel being devoted to his faith. I mean, if you missed it, I just want to recap some of the consistency you see in him. Daniel, he's consistent with values from his upbringing. He's consistent amidst temptation. He will not change even for superiors. He's unwavering in the face of death. He surrounds himself with people who are also consistent he is consistent truth teller, always telling the truth. He consistently controls his emotions. He consistently prioritizes his values to God. In opposition, he consistently goes the other way, and he prays when his consistency is contended. Daniel, without a doubt, could say, I am consistent. He could say, I'm consistent in my work, my faith habits, my dietary habits, in times of stress or fear, and filtering my emotions when making big decisions, and how I communicate. As you think about this, could you say you do any of those? Could you say I'm consistent in my work and my work ethic, or I'm consistent in my biblical faith habits of, of prayer, of scripture reading, of involvement in the church, or giving, or, or sharing of your faith, that you're consistent in your healthy habits for your body and health, that you're consistent in, in thoughtful decisions versus emotional ones? If not, if not, I think there's one primary way that drove Daniel's devotion to God to be consistent for so many years. And it's one that I think could drive your decisions and hopefully help you say, it's decided I'm going to be a consistent person and actually hold on to it. What it is, is he had a why. And you need to have a why. Have a firm reason, an image, a devoted goal of why you want to be consistent. If you are trying to be consistent, but you have no real reason why, it won't ever stick. It's just going to come and go. Like Daniel's why, what it was, is obedience because God chose him and placed him where he was. He wasn't wasting his life because he had purpose and gifting. That was part of his why. 
And he also, part of his why was being a visible remnant of God's ways to a nation without God. I don't know about you, but when I see those things, I can't help but want to do what Daniel did. And if you think about it, I'll keep this up there for a second. If you think about those statements, those are things of our culture today as well. Why did Daniel choose to pray consistently, tell kings raw, harsh truth, stay firm in his habits, not eat king's food, not get caught up in gifts that people are trying to give him, or not just trying to make people happy? It's because he had more than a desire for just a showy outward appearance of faith, but he had an inward devotion to it. Desire and devotion are quite different than one another. I desire a new big old truck. I really do. I desire it. But I'm devoted to being able to pay my bills still and supporting my family, so I say no to the truck. I desire to bring good, happy news to church every Sunday, but I'm devoted to sharing God's truth, so I sometimes come across harsh or pushy for change. I desire six-pack abs. I do. I really do. But I'm devoted to still eating cookies, so this is what I got. Desire and devotion are different, right? Desire is, I want something in this moment. What can I do to get it? Devotion is, I'm set on this thing. What do I need to do to hold it? Desire is New Year's resolutions. I want, because I saw in a magazine, or uh, you saw your friends have this thing, and you desire it. Devotion is a life-changing decision to say, I need to be healthy for my family. I need to be faithful because God is true. If I don't change, I'm going to lose what I love. So how do we go from desire to devotion with things that matter to us, that we want to change? Recently, I was listening to this podcast with uh, it's a pastor. His name is Craig Rochelle. He pastors Life Church. Uh, he's got amazing ideas. We, we try to steal a lot of their ideas because they do really great things. But he did this interview with, with Tim Tebow. Uh, I know, some of you might be like, Tim Tebow, come on now, Aaron. Uh, he's a football player, if you don't know who he is, who has some controversy, I know. But embrace it or not, he won the Heisman, he's super faithful, and he's super successful in a lot of what he does. And he believes consistency is why. I want to show you a little bit of this podcast, but it's a bit longer of a video than I normally share. Um, so I'm splitting it up into two. The first one's about a minute long, and then the last one will be about 30 seconds. But I want you to see what he says about consistency. Check it out. People sometimes will tell me, they say, hey, you're disciplined. I'm like, actually, I'm not. I have to choose discipline. Mm -hmm. What's your theory? Are you more naturally disciplined, or is it something you have to work out? I think I'm naturally driven. I had to learn to be more disciplined. Mm -hmm. And I actually would say I'm not necessarily a huge believer in being disciplined for the sake of being disciplined yes. or being a hard worker for the sake of hard work. Yeah. And I think we make such a mistake in coaching our kids. Hey, be a hard worker. Mm -hmm. Hey, be disciplined. Mm -hmm. I think we miss the mark. No one gets inspired when you say be disciplined, mm -hmm. when you say be a hard worker. Mm -hmm. They get inspired when you paint a picture mm -hmm. of what it looks like if you do this, mm -hmm. right? I paint a picture. It would be like having a running back that I would play with and say, hey, I believe that you have a chance to be one of the best running backs in the country. I believe there's a chance. You carry the rock in the, in the game-winning play in a national championship, and the confetti comes down on you if you go to work, mm -hmm. if you dedicate yourself, if you pursue this. And so you paint a vision, and then you say, with hard work, with discipline, with determination, all of these things, now you get there. The end goal is not to be disciplined. Right. The end goal is not to be a hard worker. Mm -hmm. 
The end goal is, you know, whatever that vision, that dream, that picture that you're trying to paint, whatever it is, you know, as a football player, basketball player, your occupation in school, whatever it is, whatever that end goal, that vision, that dream that you have, now we're going to learn to be disciplined and be a hard worker and be determined and set the mindset because the end mm -hmm. means so much that, yeah, I care so much for that end goal, I'll be disciplined. He says... What's your vision, right? What's your goal? What's your, the picture you want to paint at the end? What's your devotion? The end goal is not to just be a consistent person or a disciplined person. There should be something you're devoted to. So what is it for you? What are you devoted to? As you're thinking about that and thinking about methods to you know, stay consistent, I want to show you this last part. Check it out. Let's say that I have an end goal that I want to accomplish. How do I determine the discipline that brings about that goal? You what does the process look like? You, first of all, I think it's so important that you pick one that is worthy. Mm -hmm. You pick one that is worthy of working hard. If you have a small goal, if you have a small dream, and if you don't really think you can accomplish it, then dang, when I'm sore, it is really hard to wake up at five. Mm -hmm. Why would I do it? Mm -hmm. Even if I get there, it's not really worth it. Mm -hmm. Even if I get there, it's not, it's not that great. But if the end goal means so much to you. This podcast is excellent. I, I love the whole thing. Um, it will help you become consistent. I promise you that. Um, I'm going to actually send it out in a link in my email this Monday, tomorrow. So if you want that link or want access to that podcast, like it's available anywhere, but I'll send you the direct link. Fill out one of those connect cards and you can uh, put that in the offering bin later. But the video, what it did is it ended asking a question. Do you have a vision a why, a picture in your mind that makes the consistency worth it. Daniel had to have had an image in his mind of what his devotion to God and consistency would do for where he was at. As you're sitting here, do you have that? Do you have that? For you, you maybe have struggled with consistency in faith or health or work or financial because the end picture isn't really worth it to you or at least fully thought about of why it should be. If that's you, I want to help you paint a picture for a second here, for faith especially. Let's say you want to be consistent in your prayer or scripture reading or church attendance or giving generously or evangelizing to your friends, living your faith out. You desire those things, but in the moment you, you cave, right? You, maybe you just need to create a better picture, or paint a better picture with truth and promises of scripture by declaring, when I read God's word, and I'm obedient to God's word, my life is more like Jesus. I choose to follow Jesus at all costs because he is worth it. I know he will never leave me nor forsake me. I know he has plans for me. I know I can do all things through Christ. Because of these things, I know I have a life full of purpose and growth and opportunity. I will be obedient consistently in action, in serving, in giving, in anything that brings me closer to Jesus. Because at the end of the day, I know God's ways will change me and make me better. I'm striving for a day when my Heavenly Father says to me at the end, well done, good and faithful servant. So you say, I have decided to be consistent in faith. Have you done that in faith before? For you, maybe, maybe it's not faith right now for you. That's fine. Maybe it's marriage, though. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's relational. There are a lot of consistent habits that help each of these. But are you devoted to the picture of what you know is right and necessary for it to be successful? If so, what's your picture and what needs to be changed? 
Transformation, it doesn't happen like overnight, like it's not like, oh, I have this picture, now everything's perfect and I'm consistent. It takes time. It takes time. I believe that the quote's by Bill Gates. It says this. Uh, he says, most people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. Changing consistency, it takes time. But take time this week to start, to formulate your picture, and then start just one or two habits that you think should be added. For me this week, if I'm honest with you, as I'm thinking about the vision I'm trying to create for myself, I want my health to look like what, I, like what I'm desiring because I'm creating this picture that I want to be healthy for my family. I want, I want the foods, the workouts, the, the water intake. I want to be healthy for my family in the long run and be with them for the long run. So I'm creating a consistency off of that. Another one would be closeness to God. I, I want closeness to God. I'm creating an image or a vision for what that looks like because I want to be consistent in my prayer and scripture reading because I know that's going to help me as a person. It's going to help me lead my family. It's also going to help me lead this church. What's yours? What's yours? For our last five minutes, I want to point out a few things that Daniel seemed to do to combat the moments when he's about to cave because I think we all feel those at times. They are so prevalent that you can see in chapter 6, that last chapter. And I want to guess they were part of Daniel's life consistently that I think helped him stay on track. The first one is he went to prayer first. When he felt opposition, he went to prayer first. Check it out. In verse 10 it says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem and prayed. In any struggle we face, prayer is our first line of defense. Daniel knows staying consistent is going to be hard. Even though it's part of the decree to not pray, he goes to prayer first. We even see this when he's interpreting dreams for the kings, when he's delivering bad news. Before anything, he prays. Are you doing that? To keep you on track, simply saying, God, I need help here. Help me stay the course in health, my relationships, my faith, whatever it is for you. Second thing is, when his consistent devotion is attacked, he immediately leaves, he, he immediately lives out the counter. Again, the verse says in verse 10, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Daniel is potentially nervous here. He's nervous he might cave. He might not pray. So he literally goes home and prays immediately. Now I think Daniel's an impressive guy in the Bible, but he's also human. He could have adapted a little bit for that time and prayed to God with his windows shut for a little bit. He could have missed a few weeks, as we all do, and I'm guessing Daniel actually, I'm guessing he missed at times. But instead of doing that, he addresses the opposing temptation and does what's right. For us, we can do that too. We can do that too. When you, when you know working out is going to be hard this week, do it the first thing in the morning. When you know that like, you're probably not going to have time to read scripture at your normal time, maybe at lunch or in the evening, you wake up 15 minutes early and read then. Maybe you, you're like, nervous that you're not going to follow through on being generous, so you set it up in advance. When you don't think that you're, you're going to say what needs to be said in the moment, you write it out. Last thing that Daniel does is he prays a confession. After Daniel went home, the officials, they get to his house and they see him. It says in verse 11, Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. These officials obviously are seeing Daniel vent to God 
about his desires to not want to be consistent in the moments and needing help. Yet he professes struggles out loud as they hear it, they see it, they, they're able to witness that he is professing that. Do you do that? It's harder than it seems to do because when there are things that are pulling us away from our devotion, we never want to declare them. We never want to declare that, we're, that I'm just watching too much Netflix instead of working out. That I don't give because I buy too many coffees. That I'm drinking too much and that's why I feel like crap in the morning. We never want to admit those things. That I'm Facebooking too much, that's why I don't have time to read the Bible. That I'm missing church because I'm planning other events or I'm doing other things instead of church. That you don't feel close to God because you haven't pursued him. That you're struggling in your marriage because you aren't giving it the time you need. When we confess it, and Daniel verbally did it out loud, which is what some of us need to do, it makes it real. It's then brought to our attention. God says in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can experience forgiveness from God, but we also see that, that God was with Daniel in his struggle when he confessed it. And we can assume he will be with us when we confess it where we are at. Do you need to do that? So that you can create a deeper picture of what your vision is and what your why is. And not just skip over it. As I close today, I want to ask you, can you say, I am consistent? What are you devoted to versus just desiring? And to get us through times of struggle and attack, what do you need to do? Do you need to pray? Do you need to address it as soon as possible or immediately? Do you need to confess it to God? I'm going to pray that we do one of these things this week so that we can be consistent. If you want that, you can pray with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for giving us this Daniel, an example that shows us that we can be consistent. God, we want to be consistent. Just help us do that. Help us follow through on the things that you've, you've placed in our hearts. That, that image that we have in our mind, help us really act on it and be devoted to it. And then God, when opposition comes, help us act on the things that Daniel did so that we can maintain our consistency and, be continue, and continue to be a follower of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.